Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you all again. My name is Colby, and like Pastor Brad shared, I'm the son of Pastor Tom and Kathy. It's great to see you both here this morning. Last year I preached, and uh, they had flown the coop. So thanks for being here, as well as my other family members. Um, uh, I grew up at this church, so it's, it's a real privilege to be back with you all. As we were driving in, I saw uh, the, the, um, the sign, the engraving on the building, 1999, and it's cool to think that back, back then God had provided this building, and, and now even to, to see the land expand and to see, the, see and hear about the exciting plans for the future of this church and its commitment to preaching the word, um, it's just so encouraging to see and, and stay in the loop about. Um, well, my wife Bethany is here, as well as my three children, really grateful for the family that God has provided us. Our son Lionel was born six months ago, so we have um, three, three children now, three young children. So we've got a busy little home, uh, but it's a, really, a, a great time. Um, well, I wanted to say one last thing about this church that I'm very grateful for, and that is the children's ministry and the youth ministries. And so if you serve in those ministries, I grew up uh, in those ministries and was very formed by the adults, the, the men and women who served and led by example and showed me firsthand uh, what real faith looks like in the, uh, the years of adulthood. And so I want to especially thank you all who uh, invested in me as a young person. I wouldn't be up here sharing from the word with without you guys in my life, so thank you. Uh, absolutely. Well, our series theme, the theme that uh, you've been going through as a church is we need Christmas, and to clarify, we don't mean the, the bells and the celebrations and the gifts and the trees, as much as that's great and we want to do that thing, that, those things and celebrate. Um, we need Christmas, meaning we need Jesus. We need Jesus in our lives. We need him to change our lives. We need Jesus because we need mercy. We need salvation. We need peace. Uh, it's a haunting question to think about that my dad's posed the last few weeks. What if Jesus had never come? It would be a terrible world, I would suggest to you, for both Christians and non-Christians alike if Jesus had never come. And I want to suggest two uh, just quick reasons for that. One's a little bit more academic and one's more personal. There's a false narrative going around today that modern science and reason, especially during the Enlightenment, liberated society from the tyranny of religion, especially Christianity. Superstition, witch hunts, the crusades, constrictive morality and bigotry, we are told, were replaced by the scientific method, civil rights, and the end of slavery. Thanks be to the modern way of life without God. Again, this is the popular story we're told today. However, what I want to suggest and clarify this morning historically, at least just briefly right now, is that actually these ideas that I just shared come from the teachings of Jesus himself. Universal human rights, the equal value of every person, the inherent dignity of the weak and the poor, and the need for us to care for them all. Good luck finding these ideas in the world before Jesus. You won't find them in the writings of Plato before Christ, and you certainly won't see compassion lived out during the days of the Roman Empire. No, these ideas came from Jesus. It was Jesus who paved the way for modern human rights. It was Jesus who taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, not seek revenge. It was Jesus who taught us to value every single human person. As the 
hymn we sang this morning, the Christmas carol goes, the slave is our brother. This is a profound and revolutionary idea that comes from Jesus himself. So modern society would not be the same without Jesus. The last 2,000 years of history have benefited from the revolutionary way of Jesus. Without him, this world would be far worse than we would imagine, we could imagine. But the second reason is a little bit more practical, and that is that we need Jesus because we need hope. Life is difficult, and we all experience it, whether it is the pressure of relationships, career, financial resources. Each of us in this service this morning are going through different things, and we're wondering if we're going to be able to make it one more day or one more week. We feel the pressure of the credit card bill piling up and looking at our checking account and seeing how the numbers don't always align. We see the pressure of our, of our careers. We're not sure what our boss thinks of us. We look at around at our family members, and we see cracks begin to move through our families. We need hope, don't we? And this hope will come from Jesus. That's going to be the key part of this message today as we look at Scripture. What I want to suggest today is that hope comes through waiting upon the promises of the Lord. We're specifically going to be looking at the testimony of a man named Simeon in Luke 2 who waited and hoped upon the promise that one day he would see the Messiah. This would be his Kairos moment, this moment of time in which he would have an encounter with God himself. My prayer today is that each of you would leave with hope built on the promises of God, that we would hear and embrace these promises for ourselves. So let's read together from Luke 2. If you would please join me in standing as we read from God's Word. Luke 2, beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for God, how you Search us through your word, Lord. You know our innermost thoughts. You know the deepest desires of our hearts. We pray, God, that you would speak to us now through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I thank God for this story of Simeon, for the faithfulness that he showed in waiting upon the Lord's promise. 
I want to start with an example here. I have to say I really like Costco. I don't know about you all, but Costco is great. I love walking in. I get the adrenaline rush when I see the big screen TVs that I'll never own. I love the big packages of coffee and the nice socks. I love Costco. But Bethany and I have a friend who really likes Costco. In fact, she'll go to Costco not even to buy anything, but just to walk around and take in the atmosphere. Some of you are nodding. You do this too. She mentioned to us recently that she just likes to interact with people and even listen in on conversations going on. She really likes Costco. She was a, she's a regular of Costco. And it appears here in the text that Simeon may have been a regular of the temple. He went to the temple regularly, expecting and hoping and waiting to see the Lord's Messiah. Now, unlike these other characters that you've been studying recently, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, Joseph and Mary, where Luke, who's writing this gospel, is very clear and intentional in giving an orderly account of the facts of the life of Jesus, Simeon here doesn't have an impressive family background. There's, not, there's no mention of who his parents were, what tribe of Israel he came from. He's not a priest. What is this old man doing in the temple every day? Look at verse 25 again with me. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or comfort of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It's not too far to believe that Simeon was in the temple and was actually potentially mocked. He was potentially even a man of derision. Uh, the temple was a major destination in the ancient world. Would people, people would come all over the Mediterranean to see this great architecture. And as they were passing by, you can just imagine this old man just kind of waiting uh, not sure what he's doing there, what's going on. They potentially even thought he was a fool. But of course, we know as believers that God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak and despised in the world to shame the strong, 1 Corinthians 1. In this story, the main characters are an old wandering man and a little newborn baby. But God uses them to teach us how we can have hope. So as we go through this passage, I want to draw out three ideas that I see here in this passage. First, we can wait upon the promises of God. We can see when God shows up and then rejoice when he does. So as we wait, see, and rejoice, we can have hope this Christmas season in Jesus. Well, first, wait upon the promises of God. I want to be honest, waiting is difficult. It's one of the hardest things to do. And some things take uh, longer to wait for than others. Time is relative. There's a difference between waiting in line for uh, an item in the grocery store and waiting for some major milestone to happen in your life down the road. Well, a few weeks ago, you may have, might have heard the story of a man who actually fell off a cruise ship. I don't know if you heard this story in the news, but there are a few basic rules when you go on any kind of boat, and one of them is don't fall off. Stay on the boat. And it was the day before Thanksgiving, this man, James Grimes, fell off the boat, and he somehow treaded water at sea for 20 hours 
without any flotation device. It's, it's amazing, it's crazy, how could he do that? He was picked up later um, by, the, by the, um, you know, the lifeguards, not the lifeguards, I'm forgetting the Coast Guards, right? Um, 20 hours later, and he was you know, suffering immensely, but he had survived. Well, a couple of quotes from James, how did he survive? He said, I felt like I was given a chance right then. You're alive for a reason. Uh, that fall could have killed me, but I felt like from that moment on, I was trying to stay positive. And you know, when you're here, you're still alive for a reason, so all you got to do now is swim and survive. I was hoping they will start looking for me, that they will eventually find me. So he had this positive outlook, which is a good start. Furthermore, he said, I wanted to see my family, and I was dead set on making it out of there. I was never accepting that this is it, that this is going to be the end of my life. I'm 28 years old. I'm too young. This is not going to be it. Then he commented a little bit more. It was just the Lord out there helping me, giving me strength and helping me stay afloat. It was like a 20-hour baptism. (laughs) Now, this isn't a message about baptism, so I'll move on from that comment, but I had to include it. His final comment here, being the Alabama fan that I am, it was through the Gulf of Mexico, I was out there just rolling with the tide, James says. (laughs) And he hasn't ruled out another cruise trip, apparently. Well, why do I tell this story? James was obviously waiting through an excruciating time, and that 20 hours is going to be the longest 20 hours of his whole life. Well, Simeon here isn't just waiting for 20 hours. He's waiting for a lifetime, it appears, from the text. He is waiting with a hope built on the promises of God. This isn't just mere wishful thinking or hope in some vague future. No, he had promises from his Bible, from the Old Testament, of what God was going to do in and through the people of Israel. He had promised, God had promised to his forefathers, Abraham and to David, that God would give Israel a land, that he would bless the people of Israel, that he would bless all nations through Israel. He promised to King David that a king would come from David's line that would have a kingdom that would never end. These were the promises that Simeon was embracing. And yet Simeon was living at a time when it was very difficult to see how this hope was ever going to be to materialize, living under the occupation of the Roman Empire where Israel had no freedom, where it did not appear that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was actually the God of all creation. All Simeon could do was hold on to hope. And I think there's a key insight here that Simeon, we don't know anything about him basically, but we know that he was righteous and devout. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he was waiting upon the Lord's promise and he was righteous and devout. In other words, I think as we wait upon the Lord's promise, we grow in our righteousness, in our sanctification, in our Christlikeness, and in our devotion to the Lord. Paul says something similar in Romans, thinking about the idea of suffering. He says in Romans 5, We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Well, so often today, we avoid waiting. In our busy modern lifestyle, we hate to wait. We pull out the smartphone, at least I do, whenever I get the chance, just to distract my mind from the 30 to 60 seconds of waiting I have to do. 
Blaise Pascal, the 17th century philosopher, said that the secret to man's unhappiness is his inability to sit quietly in a room alone. How true is that for us today? If that was not true in the 17th century, it's certainly true today that we do not like to wait. We certainly have trouble waiting upon the Lord. Well, Simeon here centered his heart on the promise of God. His entire life's purpose was bound up with one single goal. What was it? What does the text say? To set his eyes upon the Messiah as promised by God. That was the promise that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, that he would not die until he had seen the face of the Messiah, of the Anointed One, of the Christ, of the Son of David, and God answered that promise. Well, God gives us promises, too, that we need to cling on to. First, He promises unconditional love for us in Christ. He promises that there's nothing we could do to earn God's love, to earn his favor, to earn our salvation, but that his love is poured out unconditionally upon us. It's a free gift to receive. God promises us us forgiveness through Christ, that the various ways that we have sinned against God, that we have rebelled against his law, that we have messed up in this life, the way we have hurt others, that we have dishonored the Lord, we can have forgiveness through Christ. This is a promise. We're also promised supernatural strength to persevere through life's hardships. We were not wired to go through this life on our own. In fact, the hard thing you are going through right now, God wants to use in His divinely good plan to show your need for Him and for you to call out to Him for help. Finally, God promises to restore all things. So this hard, this hard life, these things we're going through right now, one day there is an end, and it's a good one. God promises to restore all things. Well, my encouragement this morning is to cling to these promises of God. And I ask you, how are you centering your heart around these promises in your very life? For Simeon, it was going to that temple. He didn't care what was going on. He didn't care if people would mock him or not. He was going to go to that temple because he was clinging on to that promise to see the Messiah. Are you building your life around these promises? Wait with hope on these promises. Well, second, my second point this morning that I see in the text is, is see when God shows up in your life, right? It's one thing to hold on to these promises. It's another thing to see when God's fingerprints are on your life, when he's doing something. Simeon doesn't miss this moment, his God encounter. All his hope, all his waiting is culminating in an intimate, otherwise unextraordinary moment in which Simeon takes this little baby Jesus, this little infant in his arms, and he offers a prayer. Let's look at the prayer again, verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For your eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation. Upon looking upon this baby Jesus, the face of God in the flesh, all of God's promises are fulfilled. And Simeon knows 
its time. You can imagine how bizarre this would have looked like in the temple that day, amidst the hundreds or thousands of, and thousands of tourists and pilgrims shuffling through the temple. You see this small young family of three bump into this old man, and somehow they trusted this man to take their baby. He takes the newborn, lifts him up, and prays this prayer. It's amazing. And it happened because Simeon had eyes to see, and he wasn't going to miss it. If you're a fan of the uh, book series Chronicles of Narnia, you'll know that the character, the main character in the first book, Lucy, is the first to set her eyes upon Narnia. She's wandering through this old English countryside home. She opens this wardrobe, walks through, and finds herself in a snowy wood, a reality beyond what she had ever expected. C.S. Lewis, the author of the book, is using Narnia to show us that there's this world beyond that we can see right in in front of us, and Lucy sees this world. Well, the name Lucy is a powerful name. It's a sweet name. In Latin, it comes from the word lux or light. You need light to see. In the history of the church, there was a young woman named Lucy. She became a martyr when a Roman aristocrat one day called her in to marry her the fourth century under the persecution of the Roman emperor Diocletian. She's called in and demanded to marry this this aristocrat, and she says, no, I'm a believer in Jesus, and they began to persecute her. They persecuted Lucy, and the last thing they did with her was gouge her eyes out. Lucy, light, the ability to see. Well, as the story goes, God restored her vision at the last moment, and though she didn't see, she was given new eyes to see for the final time Jesus up in heaven, just as the martyr Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of God when that last stone was thrown and he went to be with the Lord. Talk about sight here and seeing and light because this is a special emphasis in our passage. In verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Later in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon sees God's promises of a Messiah fulfilled in Jesus in this passage. Well, God's plan is for Jesus to be the salvation for all the peoples of the world, not just Israel. Becoming human for our sake, Jesus will experience in his life, and we only see it as a baby now, but in his life, everything that we do in this world pain, hunger, thirst, loss, rejection, even death. And yet, unlike us, Jesus never sinned, never committed one evil deed. His life on earth was one full of miracles and healings and a revolutionary message of grace and love. Our human response, what did we do? We crucified the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, perfect in every day, in every way, the one who holds all of reality together, even as Simeon held him in his arms that day, would one day as a man be mocked, tortured, and killed. He would face a life of opposition, as we even see here in verse 35, that it would be a hard road before Jesus but it would, reveal, it would lead to the thoughts from many hearts being revealed. Now, Simeon, in this moment in the temple, may not have known all of what was coming, 
but make no mistake, he did see. And my question for you and me this morning is, do we see? If you are a Christian, do you see how God is fulfilling his promises to you, his promises of unconditional love, of forgiveness, of the strength to persevere that can only come from him, and ultimate restoration? And if you are not yet a Christian, are you beginning to see? God created you, and he sent his son Jesus into this world to save you and make all things new. You are not designed to make it through this life on your own. You need help. You need mercy. God can provide it. At the end of the day, our faith in Jesus starts with just the recognition that we can't do it on our own. I had a powerful moment when I was a, about a junior or senior in college when I was trying to figure it all on my own with my reason, studying philosophy in college, and I came to this powerful moment. I was reading a, um, a, a literature text with a group of classmates. There was a powerful moment in the story, and then it just clicked that I will never have all the answers, but in some mysterious, unexplainable way, God is the answer. And I, I had a, a, a development in faith that day that was very profound. Well, that's something that we can all hope and pray for, that God would give us these eyes to see. Well, Simeon here, what does he do? He waits upon the promises of the Lord. He sees when the baby Jesus comes, and then he rejoices when God shows up. When we wait upon the Lord's promises, see him show up and provide, our only response can be one of rejoicing. That is why this Christmas season, it should be a season of much joy and rejoicing. This season of Advent is a season of anticipation, of waiting for Jesus to come. And then on Christmas Day, we can rejoice together that he has come, that Jesus was born, that God is faithful. Well, Simeon's response to seeing Jesus is one of love and worship. All of his worship had culminated in this, all of his waiting had culminated in this special moment. He says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon's hope is fulfilled. His whole life, he had hedged his bet on the Holy Spirit's promise that he would one day see the Messiah now he, now he has, and he responds with this prayer of blessing. Now you can imagine Mary and Joseph's reaction as Simeon not only takes the, their baby and lifts him up, but rejoices with this special prayer. Behold, this child is appointed. Simeon is rejoicing. And what's the end result? What does Simeon say? The deepest thoughts of hearts may be revealed our thoughts and hearts gravitate towards what we long for the most, don't they? We rejoice the most when the thing that we love the most, when good things happen to the things that love the most. We get most excited when great things happen to the things that we love. So if you want to find out what is the thing that you love the most, when was the last time you got really excited? When was the last time you truly rejoiced? That can be an indicator of what you love the most. I know everyone in this room has a different 
feeling about the World Cup and whether to watch it and how much to watch of it, and is soccer actually a good sport or not, and should it be called football, right? Lots of opinions about that. But one thing you can't argue about is when that ball goes in the goal, the place goes crazy, and there is so much rejoicing. Yesterday, Morocco knocked out Portugal. It was a major upset, and to see the Morocco national team and all the fans just go into tears of joy celebrating this victory. I started tearing up too. I I don't even know much about Morocco. I was so happy for them. But in order to rejoice, they had to see. But they did see that day and they rejoiced. Well, in order for us this morning, as we think about the Lord's promises to us, in order for us to rejoice, we need to see God working in our life. And in order to see, we need to wait sometimes. And in order to wait, we need hope. Hope that God's promises will come to fulfillment. So we can rejoice this Christmas season when we wait and then see how God has been and will be faithful to his promises to you and to me. We need Christmas because we need hope this Christmas season. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to love us unconditionally. Don't forget it. He promises to to forgive us when we turn to Christ for salvation, to strengthen us in times of need, and ultimately to make all things new when his son one day returns again. So this Christmas season, don't miss what God is doing in your life. He wants to bring light and life to you. He wants to free you from the bondage that you are under. Let's follow the example of Simeon and build our lives on the promises of God. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you, God, for the story of Simeon, for his righteousness and devotion. Lord, we thank you for the waiting and the strength that you gave Simeon to wait upon the promises of God. God, we pray that this Christmas season, as we celebrate all the great things this time of year, we would ultimately rejoice in the coming of your son, Jesus, to set us free. It's in his name we pray. Amen.